Our scripture today is from uh, Philippians 4, verse 10 to 23. I'll read from ESV. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You are indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Know that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whichever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourself know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you send me help for my needs once again. Know that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Jesus Christ. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. As we celebrate our fourth year, uh, we're going to be going into um, our word. And if you've been tracking with us, we have been in the book of Philippians, the letter of Philippians, for over three months now. And today's the last sort of last message kind of dovetailed together as we celebrate our fourth year. Um, and today we are in the final portion, as it was read by our brother Mike, final portion of Paul's letter to the believers in the city of Philippi. And really, Paul concludes this letter with a reminder concerning two very important aspects of Christian faith. Two very important aspects of Christian faith. He speaks about the discipline of giving, everyone say giving, and the call to live in contentment, contentment and giving. So let's begin with this idea of giving in Christ that Paul talks about at the end of this letter. For verse 10, as it was read by our brother Mike, Paul begins this section by acknowledging and thanking the gift that Philippian church has sent through the man named Epaphroditus. The man who was part of their community came and gave Paul the gift. So Paul reminds and acknowledges the gift that was sent through this man. And he encourages the church in chapter 3, when this man goes back, Epaphroditus returns, honor men like this, right? So there was a gift that the Philippian church gave. And we know through Paul's other letters, the church in Philippi was not a wealthy church at all. Yet they were always generous in their giving, right? 2 Corinthians 8.15, if you look at that passage, Paul is challenging the Corinthian church to give, and he mentions the generosity of churches in Macedonia. He's really speaking about the church in Philippi. And he says how, that church, how the churches in that region gave, not because they had all this money and they were wealthy, 
But even out of their poverty, they actually begged Paul. They begged Paul to let them participate in giving and supporting for the work of the gospel. So here in our letter in Philippians, Paul thanks them and really dives into why giving is important for their own maturity, for our own maturity. Look at verse 17 with me. Paul says in chapter 4, Philippians chapter 4, verse 17, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Literally, it says, I desire the fruit increasing in your account. So according to Paul, apparently there is a direct correlation between one's giving and one's maturity. One's giving and maturity, they're directly tied together. Though Paul doesn't explicitly explain what he means by fruitfulness in verse 17, we know through his letters, including this one, whenever Paul uses the idea of being fruitful or producing fruit or bearing fruit, he's, he's not talking about material wealth that one can gain in life. But he's talking about maturity and growth of character and commitment to Christ. Every time Paul talks about fruitfulness, he's not talking about Christians becoming rich because they believe in God. No, they're talking about them maturing, becoming more like Christ. So friends, what Paul is trying to say through the concluding remarks of this letter is that our giving is a window, not the only window, but it's a window, a pretty good window to see whether we are truly growing in our faith. And so this is really the reason, although talking about giving and offering is a difficult subject and I don't enjoy doing it, it is an essential element that needs to be addressed because the scripture talks about it today. Again, giving is not the only measure of maturity, but it is a huge indicator of whether you and I are growing in Christ. So when we planted four years ago, we're celebrating our fourth year this Sunday, very early on we decided not to pass the offering plate. And many well-meaning mentors have told me, pass the plate, Sungmin. It is going to help you with giving. Like, you are a church plant. You're not going to pass the plate in the middle of service. People are going to give more. And I said, no, we're not going to pass the plate. And from very on, we decided not to pass the plate in the middle of service. because Not because giving is not important, but because I believe giving is that important that we do not want anyone to give out of some kind of obligation, out of guilt because other people are watching. No, we really want our people, that's the heart of our elders, we really want our people to give intentionally out of a joyful heart, out of response to what God has done for them, out of trust for the Lord. Friends, I could exegete the Greek and tell you what Jesus has said about giving and money and the love of money, and I've done that before. But I would like to keep it rather simple this afternoon because we got other stuff to cover. And I'll just say this, your giving impacts and reflects the state of your maturity, of your health. And so whenever God challenges you to give, it is actually for our own benefit. In fact, if you look at verse 19... What does Paul say? When we trust and give intentionally to God. Verse 19 says, Our God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory. That's verse 19. You see, verse 19 does not stand on its own. It is only for those who put their trust in God and their giving is reflected on that trust. Friends, why do we struggle in discipline of giving? 
There could be laundry list of reasons, right? And church, a lot of churches have not done well with the gift of the saints. We've done, we've built huge buildings, spent money on jets, and done a lot of foolish things, yes. And there could be other reasons, right? A huge part of the reason why we struggle to give, I think it's because we have a hard time trusting God to actually provide for us. I mean, for me, that's what it comes down to. When I struggle to give, it's about me not trusting in the Lord. Ultimately, to trust in verse 19 that the Lord will meet my needs, every need, according to His riches and glory. I don't trust that. Our giving not only acknowledges the Lordship of God over our resources, it also increases faith in Him, right? The, the condition of your heart and my heart is in a such a way that is always in despair, and giving is so helpful because it helps us break free from living in fear concerning our resources and challenges you and I to actually look at God for provision. Whenever I talk to my friends in Nepal, because we're supporting a church in Nepal, talk to this guy, Naibu, they're always in need. They're always in need, but they're always giving because why? They actually trust that God is going to provide for their needs. Even if they give away $100 that they have, they actually, this guy actually believes that God is going to provide for them, and God does. I, you know, I had, I've had a relationship with the Moksanim and something, the pastor's couple in, in um, Seoul Station called Nanumi Ministry, you know? And I've had relationships with them for over 10 years now. And, and they'll call me every time they're like negative five mil. And they're, they're just, they don't know what to do. So they'll call me. I sit down with them. And I look at their books. I look at what they, they use their money on, right? I mean, last year they probably lost 30% of giving. A lot of churches stopped giving to the homeless ministry in the city. And they actually increased their operation cost by 30%. And I look at Moksam and I go, how can you do this? You're not going to be able to survive. This is not good management. I, I get so frustrated, right? And they look at me, they go, Sangmin, God's going to provide. Sangmin, God's going to... And they've done this for 25 years. And I don't know how God provides, but every time they put their trust... I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying we should mismanage money and we should just assume God's going to provide more, but there is a faith aspect that I admire every time I hang out with people like Moksanim and somebody from Seoul Station, because they actually believe that God will provide. Friends, do you really want to know whether you are truly growing in your relationship with Christ? Do you really want to know whether you, you truly trust God with your life? One way to gauge your trust and growth is by evaluating the way you give, the way you manage your finances. And there's no way to deny that through Scripture. That's what Scripture says. And, and last four years, um, God has been gracious to us. He has indeed provided for this church plan time after time. Planting a church in the heart of a city like Seoul is not cheap. Yet God has been faithful. God has been faithfully giving like people that are sitting in this room. And, and so again, this is a challenge for us as we wrap up in the book of Philippians. How is our giving? And, and let us give not out of guilt, not out of fear, not out of desire for more. If I give God a little more, God's going to owe me a little more money. No. Give because we recognize and trust that we are not owners, but mere stewards of all that God has given us. I mean, that's what it means to be Christian, to understand whether you're a CEO of a company, whether you make $100,000 or $50,000, everything we have eventually comes from God. 
So that's what Paul says. Give for your own benefit. Give for your own character, for your own growth, for your own maturity. Amen? All right, second, Paul dives into the topic of contentment. I think Aaron was like sucked out of when I was talking about giving. Like, oh man, he's talking about money. All right, we can relax now. Contentment. Listen to Paul in verses 11 to 13 of chapter 4. He says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I'm to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in every and any circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger. One thing we have to note, right? When we read this passage from Paul, because everybody loves this passage. I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Athletes love it. Politicians love it. People love it. People that are starting business love this verse because they feel like this is what God's going to do. But we have to read this thing in context. Paul is talking about suffering in Christ. We also have to read this passage in the cultural narrative of the time of Paul. You see, one thing we have to note is the context of the culture that this letter was written in here. Many believe Paul is actually addressing a major philosophy, philosophy of life at the time. Paul is not simply talking about people being satisfied in life, but he's actually confronting a very popular, very relevant topic at the time. You see the word contentment that Paul uses in, verse, in our passage is the word in Greek is autarkos. Autarchus, which literally means to be self-sufficient. It's not simply about being happy or being satisfied. It's about being self-sufficient. That's important. Or to be unaffected by, unaffected by external circumstances. No matter what happens, you can actually, by yourself, find satisfaction. That's the idea that Paul is confronting. And this definition is heavily influenced by the teachers and the philosophers, philosophers at the time of this letter. In fact, the idea of living in autarchus, the word for content, was a central concept in an ethical discussion amongst their scenics and stoic philosophers at the time. So here, Paul confronts the most popular and foundational belief that people really lived by at the time. You see, ancient Stoicism was a philosophy of life that maximized positive emotions and reduced negative emotions and helped individuals to hone their virtues of character. So in order to be truly content person at the time of this letter, one needed to live above the need and the abundance in such a way as to be self-sufficient. And that truly outercast person, content person, you had to learn to be wholly independent, wholly independent of others and of your external circumstances. You lose a job, you lose someone you love, you have to look into yourself and find satisfaction. That's the idea of Stoicism that Paul is confronting. So Paul comes along and, and sees this teaching being taught in the church and people are living by this cultural value and he offers a different ways to view life, right? Because for Paul, the discomfort of pain and hunger and suffering was real. I mean, Paul talks about, in 2 Corinthians, he talks about all the difficult things he has endured as a servant of Christ. And he couldn't find contentment, true contentment, by detaching his feelings and emotions. And being apathetic and unfeeling only worked until it didn't. 
And, and friends, we know, we've talked about emotionally healthy spirituality, right? It is unhealthy to continue to ignore all of our negative emotions, right? When we continue to ignore our anger, our bitterness, our pain, things that happened when you were a kid, things that happened at work, and you continue to stuff them down and say, I'm not going to think negative things. They'll eventually catch up with us. I told you a couple weeks ago, I was feeling really, really like weird. I was like, why am I so angry? And I realized I have not dealt with some of the things that have happened over the last couple years. So that doesn't help. Because what happens when we experience tragic and painful events that we cannot resolve on our own? Life is full of surprises. Life is full of tragedies. We work with the sinners. We are sinners ourselves. What if we run into a conflict that we cannot resolve on our own? What happens when our pain and emotions cannot be controlled or subdued? You know, as I'm getting older, I realize I cannot control my emotions. Like good emotions and negative emotions, I'm becoming more mushy, I'm becoming more expressive, and I realize I really cannot just control how I feel. Maybe it's aging, maybe it's the fall, I don't know what it, maybe it's the air. What if the challenges you may be facing today, whether that's within your marriage, whether that's, that's within your work relationship, with your loved ones, that are, that are purely just not reconcilable? What if you try and you want to do it, but you cannot get yourself to ask for forgiveness or actually forgive someone? What are we to do with these feelings of sadness and shame and defeat and failure? What if no matter how hard we, we, we try, we can't shake these feelings away? That's stoicism. Just not think them. Search within. But then what do we do when we can't do it? You see... Both the Stoic and the Christian are, to, are told to look inward for strength and power. However, while the former Stoic finds only an impersonal inner light to guide them, only the latter, Christianity, offers a personal God. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus indwelling in each of us. And it is that very Spirit of Jesus that consoles, that comforts, that gives us courage and strength that teaches us to forgive, that teaches us to show mercy and grace when we don't want to. It's that same spirit that, that strengthens you and I to rejoice in, in, in time of suffering, to forgive in the face of evil, to repent of our own failures and, 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 and pain and not become undone by them. Last week, Elder Evan said Christianity is not about trying harder. It is not about trying harder. Let me take that further. Friends, Christianity is not about self-sufficiency. It is not about self-mastery. It is called, right? Christianity is a call to die to yourself. And when we do that, when we surrender, that's when we begin to truly live. That's the only way to live in faith, in, in Christianity. It's to die, Right? It is, it is no longer that you and I live when we die. It is Christ that lives in us. It is the Spirit of Jesus that raises us up to live according to His will, to follow the footstep of our Savior. This is why Paul can say what he says in verse 13. If you look at the passage, and Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Right? The word strengthen in verse 13 literally means to exert fully 100% of the power. It means to exert fully. 
Friends, our power, our strength, our courage is not found in us. Scripture continues to tell us your power, your courage, your strength is not found in you. It's actually in Christ. And I don't know about you, but when I come across passages like verse 13, if I quickly read verse 13, I often think what the Bible is telling me to do is I do the 90% of the work and, and Christ comes and gives us that extra needed 10% to get me over the hump. That's what I think. Because I'm a stoic by nature, right? But no, in verse 13, what Paul is saying is he's drawing a picture saying that it is actually 100% Christ. It is Christ carrying you and I. It is not us going and then we get tired, so we just say, oh, can you, can you help me, Jesus? Can you walk me through? No, it is Christ 100% carrying us through the thick and thin and hard and difficult things of life. Friends, I don't know what challenges that are facing you today. You know, room, room size, size of this room, I can only assume many of us are struggling. You talk to anybody buddy, last year and a half under COVID, everybody's got a story. Every, everybody's struggling with something. Many of you guys are struggling in your relationship with God, struggling to make sense of life. Perhaps some of you are deeply dissatisfied and disappointed about something or someone. Others of us, our expression of our Christian faith is not very different from teachings of Stoicism, right? Trying to will ourselves to overcome challenges and pain and troubles. I mean, when you think about it, when I, when I think about my, my mom's in the crowd today, when I think about the way my parents lived out their Christianity, it was like, let's go. They planted several churches. They suffered through so many things. My mom still cooks for the whole church every Sunday. And I'm thinking, man, this is a Stoicism. Just let's go. Things are hard, but... We could get through it. Trying to will ourselves to overcome challenges and pain and troubles. Doing our best to ignore emotions of bitterness, anger, and frustration. Thinking that's the godly thing to do. If that's you, that's often a picture of how I live my faith. I want to challenge you to stop trying to figure out your life on your own. If you walk away with anything today, the message is, stop, let's stop trying to figure out life on our own. That's really hard, right? Because when I was singing today, this morning, God spoke to me and God was like, Simon, you're about to speak this message, but as you celebrate the fourth year, you, you try to plant this church on your own strength. God was convicting me. You try to do this on your own, right? Four years, this is my confession to you, planting a church has been the hardest thing that we've ever done. There was nothing more harder than trying to plan. I mean, I'm sure there's more harder things, right? Like becoming an astronaut. But planning a church, is, I think it's right there. And God was convicting me. God's like, Simon, same thing. You, you've tried so hard. You've lost hair. You've gotten older. You try to will this church to grow. Yet, this is what I'm doing. This is my work. Don't forget. And, and, and I think it's so easy for us to forget that we are always trying so hard to to take more of life than what God has allowed, allowed us to. We're actually focusing on majoring on things that we shouldn't be majoring on because we, we have this desire to be self-sufficient. We have this desire to overcome and do right, thinking that's our call to be Christian. But friends, the place to begin, right? We've got to stop trying to figure out life on our own. 
Instead, the call is to surrender your life. Bible never says figure out your life on your own. The Bible says surrender your life. The very challenges and struggles that you are facing, surrender those things to Jesus once again. Friends, this begins with a simple prayer. This is not difficult. This is easier than all of our trying. It is a simple prayer saying, God, I have no idea how to live my life. God, I have no idea how to overcome my emotions. God, I have no idea how to forgive others and receive grace and forgiveness. Friends, Christianity says you don't need to fight alone. You no longer need to suffer alone. You no longer need to fend for yourself and mistrust God. Hear the words of our Savior Jesus. He looked at the crowd. He saw the crowd exhausted, tired, overwhelmed with life. And he, saw, he sees us today and he says, Come to me, all who labor are heavy laden. Guys, this is for us. This is for us. All of us who are trying so hard to win life. Jesus says, come. And he says, take my yoke and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So friends, as we celebrate our fourth year of our, of our, of our birth of our church, let's invite Christ to take hold of not just our community, but take hold of all the different areas that we're struggling with in our lives. Invite Christ to, to, to restore your sense of calling, restore your sense of passion and identity and vision. For Christ has not left us alone. Friends, this is the gospel, Hebrews chapter 4, and we'll end here. I love Hebrews chapter 4. Let me read for us. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. And this is, this is, the, this is the, the gold right here. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. What, what, what the author of Hebrews is saying is, all of your pain, all of your struggles, all, all the injustice you have felt in life, Christ has felt them. Verse 16, let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence, trusting in God, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You see, Hebrews chapter 4 speaks, and this is the gospel, speaks of a Savior not only who is able to save us, but one who can empathize with us. He knows your struggles. He knows your fears. He knows your loneliness. He knows what it means to be understood. He knows what it means to be betrayed by friends. He knows what it means to be abandoned by those that followed him all these years. He knows exactly all the things that we're going through. And what he wants to do is he wants to carry us. So on this, on this Sunday, the invitation is simple. It's not doing more. It's not asking for more. It's simply confessing, God, I don't know what I'm doing with my life. At least I need your help. Let's pray together. 
Jesus, we thank you for this reminder as we celebrate uh, this is Thanksgiving Sunday as celebrate our fourth year, God. We recognize that this is your community. We recognize that people that are here, this is your people made in your own image, God. So I just pray that you would give us ability to let go, ability to stop trying so hard to win life, ability to look at you, Jesus, for you have invited us. We thank you for this invitation. We thank you that you are the perfect high priest. Holy Spirit, would you continue to speak to us, God, in the areas that we're not letting go, in areas that we're so trying so hard. Be with us, move us. We thank you. Just let me pray. Amen.